Hey, this is Greg Sanders. Thanks for listening today. It's our hope that this message will help you connect to God, grow in His Word, and serve the kingdom in a greater capacity. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Well, I went to church last Sunday. Did you? Did you come to church last Sunday? Okay. I went to church. I told Megan uh, we were on vacation. If you didn't know, maybe you skipped church last week and you didn't even know I was gone. You just got caught. Um, I went to church last Sunday, and uh, I got back, and Megan said, well, how was it? I said, you know, it was good, but it's not as good as our church. Those people were nice, but they're not as good as our people. Man, you guys are just, y'all are awesome. Uh, So we're so glad to be back home with you. If you are a guest, we are in the middle of an emphasis called 40 Days of Communion. And on your way out today, there's a free devotional you can pick up, I hope, you are leading yourself or your family through 40 days of communion. If you haven't been doing so, start today. Let today be day one of your 40 days. Well, Pastor, I missed a week. That's okay. Pick it up. Finish it out. I just keep hearing more and more people telling me what God is doing around their dinner tables and their living rooms as they are doing this. And so today our emphasis is still talking about communion this morning, and maybe perhaps communion to you has always been a religious ritual um, observation. It's never been personal. It's, uh, It's just been like some hoops you felt like you had to jump through, but it's never really come alive in you. I'm praying this 40 days that uh, that you truly have what communion is meant to be, and that is communion, right? Communication, relationship-building moments with God the Father. And I want to jump into today's message talking about how communion is supposed to be a process. It reminds us that it is a process, that all of us in this room, turn to your neighbor if you got one you don't mind looking at and tell them you're a work in progress. Now, don't tell them the progress needs to be sped up, okay? That's, that's out of bounds. Several years ago, when Megan and I first got married, she had a little car. I want to put you a picture of it on the screen. This is a car like she had. Isn't that awesome? That's an awesome car right there, buddy. And uh, we had some guests at our church one Sunday, and it was Megan and I's job. I'm not sure where Pastor was, but it was Megan and I's job to take the special guest out for lunch. And so we loaded them up in the church van. We took them to lunch. We were coming back to let them off at their car, and they didn't know that that was our car. And one of the guests looked over at our car and said, man, someone took that car away from its mama way too quick. <coughs> kind of hurt my feelings. But they, they were saying something in the natural. Now, listen, if you came to church in a car like that, I'll tell you, we loved our Ford Aspire. It went a it went a many, many mile on a, lo- on a little, little gas. It was pretty awesome. Uh, some days I wish I had it back. But they were saying, here's what they were saying to us. The tininess of that car uh, spoke something to them. That there was a process that got robbed from them. And because they didn't stay in the process, they didn't become, it didn't become everything it was supposed to become. How many understand if you don't stay in the process of God's Word and communion with God, you're not going to become everything that God wants you to become, right? 
We are still, the Christian life was never supposed to be a one and done day where one day I give my life to Jesus, now I'm one and done, I'm right with God, the adventure's over, my growth is over. No, no, no. When you give your life to Jesus, that's not the climax of your experience with God. That is the beginning point of your experience with God, right? You're supposed to grow from there. How many in this room have ever, you have kids or, you know, whether they're two or 200, whatever, however old they are. You know, things that your child does when they're two years old, right? And how many know two-year-olds, there's no predicting what they're going to do, right? No predicting. Uh, and <clears throat> no predicting. But, but they do some crazy things. They say some crazy things. And sometimes you think, man, that is so cute. But if they say the same thing as a 14-year-old, as they said as a two-year-old, it's not quite as cute. Right? If your 14-year-old lays on the floor and kicks and screams and bangs his head on the floor, it's not near as cute or forgivable as if they're two years old. Why? Because there was something that was supposed to happen between the ages of 2 and 12 that's called growth and development. Can I tell you today, when it comes to the kingdom of God, just because you're saved and on your way to heaven doesn't mean that you're done. There's some growth and development that's supposed to keep going on in our lives. And if we're still acting like spiritual two-year-olds, we got to grow up, Right? My very first Sunday here, I made, a, I made a statement that a lot of people didn't like, so let me try it again. <laughs> There's a difference between serving God for 20 years and serving God for one year 20 times. Right? Just because you've been in the kingdom for 20 years doesn't mean you've been growing for 20 years. You should be growing for 20 years, but how many understand longevity doesn't equal growth? And it definitely doesn't equal positive growth. I'm getting off the page and I'm getting in trouble, so let me get back to it. Hebrews chapter 10 says this, For by one sacrifice, he, speaking of Jesus, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. I want you to look at the scripture this morning because in that one scripture, there is a past tense and there is a present tense. There is the day that we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, that's the past tense. That we have been forever made perfect by God. What does that mean? That means when, when God looks at me, He doesn't see all the mistakes of my past or the sins I committed or how all my shortcomings, though they are many, many, many. God doesn't look at my shortcomings. He doesn't see my sin. He doesn't see my mistakes. All He sees forever, when He looks at Greg Sanders and every saved person in the room today, all He sees when He looks at you is not your righteousness or lack thereof. All He sees is the perfect righteousness of Jesus. Amen? That's, the, that's good news for me. That's the past tense. But it doesn't stop there. He says, and are making us to be holy present tense. Uh-oh. That means as right as I am in the eyes of the Father... There is still a process that I'm in today. Those who are being made holy. Can I tell you what, what God is trying to do in your life today? 
Well, pastor, you don't know me. You don't even know my middle name. You don't know anything about me. How dare you say you know? Well, if you're a believer today, I know something about you. That Jesus is working in your life to make you holy. To make you more in Him than you are without Him. This scripture points to a process, not just the point of arrival. And so my participation in the process keeps me in the position of righteousness before God. So as believers today, I want to challenge you to stay in the process. For 40 days, we're taking communion every day. It's talking about the, the bread and the wine, the body and the blood. All of this talks about, it points to the process that Jesus went through himself. It also points to the, to the fact that we are in a process. He's in a process. Behold, I go away to prepare a place for you that where I am you may also be. There's a process going on in heaven, but there's also a process going on here on earth that we're supposed to be a part of, and we're not spectators in the process. We're to participators in the process today. So I want to talk about how communion reminds us to stay in the process. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 9, it says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus... By a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. That's an important thing as we're taking communion. Some of you are still wondering what does all this mean. That's okay. Here's one more thing it means. is that when Jesus' body was broken, it broke open a door for you and I who are far from God to be near from God. For those of us who are imperfect, which is all of us, to have now access to God the Father through his body. <clears throat> and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly, that's a big statement for today, to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. All the more as you see the day approaching. For if we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of truth, no sacrifice for sin is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and the raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty good motivation to stay in the process. Father, help me today. God, I help you. I pray you'll help my voice to speak what you want spoken. I also pray you'll help my mind and my spirit to preach what you want preached and only what you want preached. I also pray you'll open our ears, our hearts, and our minds to hear what the Spirit of God wants to say to us. And we'll respond to it. And everybody in the room said amen. So Paul talks about how Jesus is the open door into the presence of God. The book of Revelation talks about when John the Revelator looked into heaven, he saw before him not a closed door into heaven, but an open door into heaven. Everything that Jesus did was provide you and I an open door to God the Father, so that we which are unholy can be made holy and enter the places that we could never enter before. That's what Jesus did. He put us in a process that we could have, we could have 
right relationship with the Father. Matthew 27 says that when Jesus gave his life on the cross, the moment he died, the door was open, the curtain was ripped, the separation between God and man that was made by, by sin of humanity in Genesis chapter 3, that all of that was broken in half, torn in half from top to bottom, in a way that you and I can never do for ourselves, God did for us so that we could have communion with God. So the broken body of our Savior represents an open door to God. You know, when Jesus said in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, he was basically saying, I am becoming the open door that you need. So this morning I want to talk about how to stay in the process of walking through this open door that God has for us so that we can grow in our faith so that when someone looks at you in 20 years from now, they don't see you as a spiritual Ford Aspire. Right? You're growing. You're developing. Well, how do I develop with God? How do I keep growing in this process of communion with God? Paul gives us a few ways. Number one, he says, let us draw near to God. All my points this morning, I'm just, the, the, the writer used this phrase, let us, so I'm using the phrase too. Let us draw near to God. Hebrews chapter 10, 22, it says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart before Him. You know, every day of our life, today included, we're either drawing nearer to God or we're drifting away from God. There's no neutral days. There's no days where you just thought, I just existed that day. No, no. Every day of our life, we're either drawing near to God or we're drawing away from the Lord. Every day, we're either staying in the process of getting closer and closer to God or we're in the process of drifting away from God. I wonder what process you're in today. What process am I in today? Am I in the process of drawing near to God or am I in the process of drifting away from God? All of us are in one of those two processes today. Are you drawing near or are you drifting away? Paul says, let us draw near to the Father. James chapter 4 has a promise, has a promise for us. He says, if you will draw near to God, He'll draw near to you. Matter of fact, the idea of drawing near to God is so important in the book of Hebrews, it's mentioned at least three times, I'll, or four times. The other three I'll read it to you real quickly. Hebrews 4.16, <coughs> it says, Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and help in our time of near, need. Hebrews chapter 7 says, He is able to save forever those who draw near to Him. Hebrews chapter 11, 6 talks about how without faith it's impossible to please Him. For he who draws near to God must believe that He is, that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. Listen, drawing near to God is not just a physical move. It is a, it is a move of our heart to say, you know what, I'm going, to, I'm going to find out what pleases God, what God is up to, and I'm going to do my best to please Him. I'm going to draw near to Him today. You know, my, my, my dad, I know it's beginning, it's beginning to be hunting season. I've heard some guys talking about bow and arrows and muzzle loaders and rifles and all this stuff before service today. I'll never forget the first time my dad took me hunting. He gave me one bit of instruction. Here's what he said. He said, son, step where I step. So if you step where I step, you won't fall down. You won't step on a snake. Just step where I step. You know what drawing near to God means? You step where he steps. Right? Jesus said, I don't do anything of my own. I just do what I see my father doing. 
I'm just, I'm just staying in step with him. That's what, means to, that's what it means to stay in step with the Father. It means to draw near to the Father. You're just going to stay in step with him. I was getting ready to preach this and reviewing this this past week, and I began to think about, I know I'm going to lose some of you on this illustration, but do you remember the old school radios in the car before digital radios came about? We actually had to turn the knob, right? And you didn't just hit a button that said, you know, 98.7. You just didn't hit a button. You had to take that knob and you had to scroll it until you found the station. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Anybody in the room? Okay, praise the Lord. We're not quite as young as I thought we were. So, but here's what I discovered. You could turn that knob and it'd go, and, it, and you could, then you could get a little bit of the station and you could hear the music. But if you turned it better, if you turned it more, just a touch more, you didn't just hear the music, you heard it better, right? If you turn a little bit more, it got worse. There was like a sweet spot where you could hear it, where you could. Can I tell you, when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, if you're not careful, you can get a lot of static. Because the world is pumping your life full of static full of noise and mixed messages, and you've got to learn to tune your heart towards Him to where what you hear is Him and not the things of this world. Now, some of you, some of you have the same issue with cell phones, right? You, some of you know exactly in your house where you get the best signal, and you've got to get in that spot for your cell phone to work. Can I tell you, we've got to make sure that we are living our life in the spot that God blesses, in the spot where God is working. Well, pastor, what does that spot look like? One word, obedience. Can I tell you, I could put this whole message into one word, and some of you wish I would so we could go home, but I'm not going to. But if I were going to put in one word, here's what the word would be. Surrender. What keeps us in the process of God or out of the process of God is one word, surrender. Am I willing to surrender today what God's asking me to surrender today? And some of you are like me, you, you've sang the song a thousand times, I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior. I know you were wishing I'd stop singing, I will. I surrender all. Right, we sing the song, but then the Holy Spirit talks to us about an attitude we have towards a person, towards a situation. The Lord talks to us about a habit we're embracing he talks to us about something we should give, and then all of a sudden we go from singing I surrender all to, you know, Lord, I'll surrender everything else, but not that. You know, surrender is a great idea, but it's a hard application. It's hard when the rubber meets the road. I'm just wondering, what, what static needs to be erased from our life today? What do we need to surrender today so we can hear the Word of God and the voice of God more clearly? Here's the second thing the Word says about staying in the process. He says, hold unswervingly. Would you say that word out loud? Unswervingly. How many of you use that word every day in your vocabulary? Right? Hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. Hold unswervingly you know, it sounds like someone is trying to yank the steering wheel out of your hand. Hold on. you got to hold on to that thing tight. Any water skiers in the room? 
I was taught how to water ski by someone who didn't know how to water ski. And here's what they told me. Don't let go of the rope. Let me tell you something about that advice. Either it works or it don't. Right? But, but that person knew if, you, if, if you're going to succeed, you've got to hang on. Can I tell you, if you're going to succeed as a believer, there's a lot of other things you've got to do. But the one thing you've got to do is you've got to hang on unswervingly to the hope that you profess. Do you understand that there's an enemy of your soul today who's out to kill, steal, and destroy the hope that you profess? He is, he is bombarding your faith every single day. He is bombarding your hope every single day because there is nothing that is more powerless than a believer who's lost their faith or walked away from from their hope. There is an army who is looking to destroy your faith and your hope. There's what I would call hope snatchers and faith stealers. And they come in the form of what we hear and what we listen to and what we ponder on. And if the enemy cannot talk you into listen to the, listening to those things that are in opposition to the Word of God, he'll get you to listen to the things that just pervert the Word of God. And you know what perverts the Word of God? Things that the, the things the Word doesn't say, but we wish it'd say. How did the enemy tempt Adam and Eve? He just told them part of what God said, but not all of what God said. It was the truth just twisted a little. And he snatched their faith, and he snatched their hope, and he perverted the, the purpose God had for them. You know, Isaiah verse 2 says this, Stop trusting in mere humans. Who have but breath in their nostrils. Why hold them esteem? We've got to understand our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus. That's it. It's Him. Hebrews chapter 10 says, don't throw away your confidence in Him. Right, I'm adding that phrase, in Him. You can throw away your confidence in people. You can throw away your confidence in the economy. You can throw away your confidence in, in rulers and political parties. Some of you need to. You can throw away your confidence. Don't you love how I slipped that in there? You can throw away your confidence in people. But hang on to your confidence in God. Hang on to your confidence in Him. Because if you hang on to your confidence in Him, it says this. That after you persevere and after you've done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised if I hang on to it unswervingly. Every day, I believe this all my life, we're either being talked out of our faith or we are strengthening our faith. Every day we're letting the messages we hear and the people we talk to and the conversations we have and, and the thought processes of our mind talk us out of faith or strengthening our faith. Every day we're either being 
driven by faith or ruled by fear. And let me tell you how you know the difference. Do you know where fear operates? Fear operates in the tomorrow. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if that person says this to me? Or what if they betray me? What if I fail? What if I falter? What if I don't have enough? What if I'm not enough? What if, I, what if God doesn't come through? What if this doesn't go as planned? Fear always operates in tomorrow. But can I tell you, faith always operates in today. I'm going to obey God today. I'm going to be faithful today. I'm going to listen to Him today. I'm going to read today, pray today, obey today. I'm going to give today. I'm going to live today. Fear is always about tomorrow, but faith is always about today. <clears throat> are you living your life based on what might happen tomorrow? Are you living your life on what God is saying about today? Doesn't the word say, listen, don't give any thought about tomorrow. It's not even promised. You don't know what's going to happen. Don't waste your life worrying about it, but instead be faithful to God today. You know how God, or you know how the enemy talks us out of God's promises and talks us out of God's processes? I'll give you a few ways real quick. He talks us out of our faith by making circumstances seem bigger than God's promises. Can I just, I got a news flash for you today. God's promises are always bigger than we are. They're always bigger than we are. Goliath is always bigger than David. The promised land is always filled with giants and we always feel like grasshoppers in comparison. That's how it is. But we have to understand that God's promises are bigger than our circumstances. The second thing the enemy tries to get us out of process is he confuses us about the heart of God. He convinces us that maybe the devil wants more for you than God wants for you. Or maybe you want more for you than God wants for more for you. Can I tell you, no one loves you like Jesus. No one wants better for you than Jesus. You know, Psalm, the psalmist said, the Lord's on my side. So I'm not going to fear. Do you know how you defeat fear? You remind yourself that the Lord's on your side. God is for me. I say God is for me. So who can be against us? You know how else the enemy gets us out of the process of God? Is he allows us to have seasons where God's presence seems absent. You ever been in a, in a season where God's presence seemed absent? Yes. Do you remember that night, not that you were there, but maybe you read about it. Do you remember that night when, this, when the disciples were in a storm and they were laboring and they thought they were about to go under and the Bible says that Jesus was on a hilltop and he saw them, he saw them out there in their struggle, he saw them in their storm and they were, you know, they were, trying to get the water out. They were trying to do all they could do to survive. And Jesus comes walking to them on the water. You know, from the time he was on the mountain to the time he arrived on the scene, which his arrival didn't really bring him a lot of peace. They thought he was a ghost. But that whole time, they're thinking, man, Jesus is not here. He has abandoned us. 
He has forsaken us. He's forgotten about us. We're on our own. It, it, this, our survival is only limited by what we can do. But can I tell you this, friends? Jesus was watching them the whole time. He saw them the whole time. And he sees you today, and he's watching you. And he's on his way to you today as well. He can walk on your storm if you'll stay on the process long enough for his promise to arrive where you are. Sometimes we get out of the process because we try to take matters in our own hand. We abandon ship instead of staying in the boat he's called us to be in. We also stay in the process by spurring one another on. There's another word you probably don't use every day. Spur. It says, let us consider how we spur one another. Now, when I'm just, I'm just of, the, of the age that when I hear about spurring something, I think of Roy Rogers and John Wayne. Right, I think of cowboy boots and those little stars on the back of them. Am I communicating? Anybody know what I'm talking about? That's what a, that's what a spur is. You know, what, you know why cowboys wear those things on their boots? Right, they're not just to look cool. They're purposeful. They're, they're to motivate the animal to go forward. You and I are supposed to spur one another on to good works. You know, on Tuesday nights right now, uh, Man Up is going on. We're talking about don't give the enemy a seat at your table. Guys, if you haven't been to a Man Up event, I challenge you to come this Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. But in Man Up, there is a group within the group that is, um, well, we are doing, well, I should say this way. We are supposed to be doing as many push-ups and as many sit-ups as you can every single day. And so there's about three of us, Jacob and Cor. I don't know who else is in the group, but I know those two guys are in the group. And, and we've been texting each other every day, or, or most days, about, hey, how's it, how's it come on your push-ups? And, and some days we are happy to report. Sometimes Jacob will say, hey, how many push-ups you, how many push-ups you done today? And I'll, I'll jump down, I'll do one real quick. So I say, well, not very many. <laughs> <coughs> but it sure beats saying none right? But you know, what those, you know what those text messages are doing? They're spurring me on to do more than I would be doing. Did you know as believers, we're supposed to be spurring one another on to do more than we would do naturally? A good prayer to pray might be this, God, how can you use me to spur on someone else, to encourage someone else, to motivate someone else? To do more than perhaps they would do. Spur on one another. Number four, let us keep meeting together. Megan, if you want to come, I'm going to wrap this up sometime in the next 30 minutes. It says, let us keep meeting together, not giving up as some are in the habit of doing. You know, one of the patterns of the New Testament church is that they kept meeting together. Revival was going on. And they kept meeting together. Persecution was going on, and they kept meeting together. Their reputations sometimes were, 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 were front-page news in a positive way. Other days, their reputation was, was in the ditch. But they kept meeting together. Some people were in postures and pretended to be one thing, 
but they were actually something else. But they kept meeting together. Other people, they, they, were, they came to church and they found Jesus and their life was transformed. But they kept meeting together. When you got up this morning and walked in this building at 10 a.m., you didn't just do it because you're part of a habit or part of your system. But for the last 2,000 years, the plan of God has been for the church of Jesus Christ to move together and meet together and change the world together. He says, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Why? Because there are certain things that happen when the body of Christ is together that doesn't happen when the body of Christ is apart. If you go to communist countries today where they're trying to wipe out Christianity, there's two ways they try to put an end to what God is doing. You know what the, one, the two ways are? Number one, they, get, they try to get rid of the Word of God, get rid of the book, because they've discovered if we can get rid of the book, and here's the second thing they try to do, is they try to get rid of the meetings, the churches coming together. Because they've discovered as long as people have the book, and as long as the church is meeting together, we can't stop it. Let's not voluntarily give up two of our greatest strengths for our life. Stay in the process of meeting together. Well, well Pastor, people, are, people are, 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 are phonies sometimes. Yep. There are some phonies in the book of Acts. God dealt with them. God dealt with them. I've discovered I can pray away a lot more than I can work away. I'm just going to try to keep stay in my lane, love God, love people, let Him deal with the rest. Amen? And last, last way to stay in the process is leave your sin. Let us leave our sin in the past. Look at verse number 26. Challenging statement. It says, if we keep deliberately, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of truth, there's no sacrifice for sins left. If we keep deliberately sinning, now, that's a strong phrase. What's he talking about? Well, there's a difference between struggling with a sin and choosing a, life, a lifestyle of sin. What the writer is writing about, there are people who had come to the truth of Jesus, but the truth of Jesus required so much surrender that they were... They were just publicly stating, you know what? Jesus is the Son of God. He is who He says He is. He has changed my life. He has forgiven me. I've seen what He's done. But the surrender, the cost is too high. And when I lived my old life, whether it was as a Jew or, or an unbelieving Gentile, that seemed easier. And so even though I know God's way is true, I want to do my thing instead of God's thing. I'm going to choose to love my way over God's way. And they chose a lifestyle that they knew was sinful, but they chose it over God's way. They weren't asking to be free from it. They weren't asking for God to redeem it. They weren't asking for God to deliver them out of it. They were embracing it as an alternative to living for God goes back to that one word, surrender. 
surrender. Surrender keeps us in the process or takes us out of the process. In your hands this morning, you have that communion element, the bread and the juice, the fruit of the vine. And that speaks to us today that Jesus surrendered everything so that we could participate in everything that God ordained for us. Real quickly this morning, if you're here and you did not receive a communion element when you walked in the door and you would like one, would you please lift your hand real quick? There's one over here. Anyone else need one? Everybody on the balcony good? Awesome. Can we stand together? I'm going to give you about 15 seconds to try to separate that bread from that cup. Somebody told me that was hard to do. So go ahead and try to conquer that battle real quick. I'm still hearing a lot of crinkling, so I'm going to wait. Forty days of communion is what we're doing. We're taking communion every Sunday. During the 40 days, we've got one more Sunday left, I believe, next week. We're taking this together. Can I tell you one thing I know about every single person in this room who's a believer is that God has you in a process. And the biggest key is to whether you keep growing or whether we get stunted in our spiritual growth is one word. Surrender. Am I willing to surrender? It's easy to sing the song, I surrender. It's hard on Monday morning when he tells us to surrender an attitude or surrender some bitterness or surrender a time or surrender finances or whatever it is. That's when the rubber meets the road and our surrender becomes more than a theological thing we've said we've done to a practical, hey, this is how I'm living my life. I'm living a life of surrender. But in your hands today, you've got the bread and you've got the cup. And it reminds us that Jesus surrendered all so that we could participate in all that he has for us. So I want to ask you just to hold that bread between your fingers this morning. And I want to ask you to pray with me, just in using your own words. But Father, I thank you today that your broken body is an open door. Your broken body is the open door so that I can begin a relationship with God the Father like I've never had before. There was always distance between me and my Heavenly Father that was brought by the sin of humanity that I just added to with my own sin. But God, you made a way. You made the closed door open for your broken body so that I could have right relationship with, with God the Father. That I could stand before God and be righteous. But I could also experience that every day being made holy that I become less and less as Jesus becomes more and more. God, thank you for initiating and inviting that process in my life. And today, I remember and I say thanks. In Jesus' name, would you take the bread together? Word says after it, he took that cup and he said, this is the new covenant. This is the new agreement between God and man. So let's pray about that this morning. Father, I'm thankful there is a new agreement. God, my past is not a prediction of my future because you've made a way in my life for me to become more than I ever was on my own. 
God, you've taken those works of my life that was only about outward, outward conformity. And Lord, now you've made it the law. You've written the law in my heart. God, that you're changing me now from the inside out, not just the outside in. So I surrender today to every outward and also every inward change in my life you would like to make. And God, today as we take this juice together, the fruit of the vine together, we say thank you and we truly surrender whatever it would be that you call us to surrender in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take the cup together today. And why don't you just lift your hearts, your hands to the Lord and just give Him thanks today. Thank you, Lord, for the open door. Thank you for the empowered life. Thank you for the opportunity to live life above my own life. Lord, to experience you in ways that otherwise would be way off limits. Thank you, Lord, that I can have true communion with God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. Thank you, Lord, that every day the Holy Spirit is helping me commune with my Savior in a personal way. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Would you give the Lord a hand clap for His Word today? We love you, Lord. Hey, this morning, this morning, if you have not been, if you've not been joining us for 40 Days of Communion, pick up the devotion. Just start, start today. Start at the beginning. Uh, jump in if you're in the middle. We'd love to be a part of it. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for worshiping with us. Have a wonderful, wonderful afternoon. God bless you. We love you. If you're a first-time guest, I'd love to greet you and meet you on the front porch. Hello, this is Greg Sanders, pastor of the Assembly here in Cabot. I want to say thanks for listening today. If you are ever in the Cabot area, we'd love to have you join us for a service. For service times, check out our webpage at theassemblycabot.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great day, and God bless.